This is the MagicWordPodcast.com. Hello, this is Scott Wells for the MagicWordPodcast.com. This week, we complete our three-week series on magic exposure with a chat featuring three magicians who are passionate about protecting our art's secrets. We've given time to a couple people who have taken the position that magic exposure is not only okay, but they are unapologetic and, in fact, encourage others to do it, too. Our guests this week represent the majority of those in magic who believe magic exposure is bad and that our secrets should be protected, despite many of those secrets already being out there and accessible to anyone at the click of a button. But what I hear most people saying is that the real problem with these few magicians who have exposed magic is the videos being indiscriminately placed on social networks that, through certain algorithms, are being pushed on an unsuspecting public who is neither seeking to know or to learn these secrets. And the bottom line reasons of why they are doing it is obvious. Money and publicity. Anyway, for those few who have chosen not to listen to the last two episodes, let me reiterate again my reason for broadcasting this series. I think it's important to our community that we first recognize and identify the problem, then secondly address it by having intelligent and healthy conversations of magic exposure. And the best way to do that is to have as much knowledge from both sides why it exists, so we can do something about it, whichever side you're on. If you don't know what the other side is thinking and their reasons for why they're doing it, then you're missing half the equation, and your debates will devolve to shouting matches. Well, this week we will hear from David Sandy, who, in a way, got this ball rolling when he removed Murray Sawchuck from his Facebook page, Magic Collector's Corner, following the posting of his videos on Al DeLage's World's Fastest Trick and the John Cornelius Pen Through Anything. We hear the reasoning for banishing Murray and his thoughts on why we should protect magic secrets. Next, we hear from illusion builder Bill Smith, who worked with Harry Blackstone Jr. and has a deep understanding of magic and illusions, and has a personal story about how exposure has directly impacted his business as a builder. Finally, we hear from Mark Holstein, an attorney who has been the stage director for Abbott's Get-Together for over 30 years, and is both a performer and avid collector and protector of our history. His dedication and passion for our art are reasons he thinks we should maintain the magician's code. There's a lot to unpack in this week's episode, but first, we need to pay the bills. This episode is brought to you by the Winter Carnival of Magic in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, coming soon on March 7th through 9th. Telling us a bit more about what to expect this year is the chief organizer, Tom Forchingham. Winter Carnival of Magic coming up in Pigeon Forge on March 7th, 8th, and 9th. And I have with me right now the organizer, Tom Forchahan. Hey there, Tom. Hey, hey, Scott. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Tell me something You're about what's going to be going. I'm excited about this year's uh, Winter <laughs> I Carnival. I guess you are. Yeah. The 49th year, we got Doug Kahn, the Evison, Steve Valentine, Bob Sheets, Andy Gladwin, Nick DeFott, and another half dozen people. Well, there's going to be four shows. So there's a big show Friday night and Saturday night. Uh, in addition, we have two one-man shows. Doug Conn will be Thursday evening, uh, where he's also going to lecture afterwards, but getting to see some of his street magic stuff. And then uh, Friday afternoon will be Bob Sheets doing a one-man show. So contest, we got close up. We have an open mic contest, or as I like to call it, a non-formal stage contest with a $250 winner-takes-all cash prize. So uh, we got it all. It's going to be a busy day, eight lectures, or a busy day, busy weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, March 7th, 8th, and 9th, 
wintercarnivalofmagic.com. Sounds like it. That's something that's going to be rivaling even the national conventions that normally have larger groups. But even here, you have like about 250 or so people at the conventions. And so you got time to kind of sit and interact with all these people, too, with other yeah, it talent. should be awesome. Should be awesome. You've been there. It's a I think the word somebody used was powerhouse. And I'm I'm tickled with that word. <laughs> it is a powerhouse of entertainment that you've got uh, coming up again. It's going to be nestled there in the Smoky Mountains near Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Eighty nine dollars uh, should have been three fifty, but we're keeping the price down until we get to 50. If we can, one hundred and eighty nine dollars for magicians, ninety nine dollars for anybody that's a non magician spouse or whatever you're bringing with you. Uh, you almost can't pass it up. Sounds like a great convention. And again, the website is? Wintercarnivalmagic.com. Go check it out. You're going to love it. I recommend it. Thanks, Scott. So now let's get this party started. Featuring, to begin with, the past international president of the International Brotherhood of Magicians, Mr. David Sandy, here on The Magic Word. The thing that kind of got this exposure thing that we've been doing here, and we talked last week with uh, Murray, which you heard, uh, started really from with David Sandy uh, expelling uh, Murray from the uh, Collector's Corner Facebook page. And then there were several people who were piling on to the thread after after they got booted off and so that's kind of what got started and so i thought it'd be great to go to the source to david sandy himself to kind of uh find out what his uh, uh, idea is on exposure and why that he'd made the decision that a member should be ejected because we do have grievance and ethics committee for the ibm and sam and the magic circle in which there are uh, certain rules that people must adhere to regarding exposure and the consequences would be that you could have expulsion from the organization anyhow enough for me i've got with me right now david sandy hello david hi scott <laughs> scott so i did want to get from you your idea first of all what do you consider to be exposure what is magic exposure well first of all definition i, I you know i i think uh lance and i've been talking about this to Lance Rich. Lance Rich, my partner, and we've been talking about this at a great extent, and it kind of goes back to, uh, uh, you know, what the uh, uh, Supreme Court would determine as pornography. Mm -hmm. You know it when you see it. And I think that kind of a, that, that really applies to this. I mean, we know it when we see it, particularly those of us in the magic business. Ever since I was a kid, you know, magic was all about secrets. You go into the magic shop, you see the sign. You know, the secret is told when the trick is sold. Right. You know, because the whole foundation of magic is about the creating wonder. And, and if you know the secret, then it doesn't create wonder and it doesn't fulfill its mission. And growing up with my mentor, Fawcett Ross, and being around Fawcett's friends, Charlie Miller and Dave Vernon and Ross Bertram, all these guys, you know, it's all about protecting the integrity of magic as an art and magic is based on the secret. And so, you know, I've, uh, that, that's something that's been ingrained in me, into me as a kid. And with regards to the Magic Collector's Corner, when Lance and I created the Magic Collector's Corner weekly show and subsequently the Facebook page, we wanted it to keep on a positive note. Sure. You know, about the appreciation of magic as an art, the history of magic, the stories that have accumulated over years, the collections that people have. And when Murray's... Um, video of the world's fastest trick appeared someone someone posted a link mm -hmm. you know of course it brought on a lot of a lot of comments. controversy comments. brought on a lot of controversy and uh so i let it go for a while and you know 
When I was 18 years old, I produced my first magic convention, and Marvin and Carol Roy were at an act that I hired, and I know Murray's very close. In fact, I've hired Murray in the past. Murray's a friend. I, ha I hold no ill will against him as a person. We just have a difference of opinion, and he has chosen to do something that, that I think the majority of the magic community views as wholesale exposure. Uh, it's there for a gag, the things he's done on YouTube. It's there to create clicks and views, and that's very profitable. These content creators, if you do research online, you know, even the average content creator, I'm not saying this is what Murray or any of these other guys mm -hmm. are making, but they're making hundred to $120,000 a year doing this kind of stuff. A and month. it's all about month. It's all about getting the clicks, getting yeah. the views. And I look at it like this. You know, first of all, inherently at the purest foundational level showing how the trick is done with without merit or you know just for the sake of showing how the mm -hmm. trick is done is wholesale exposure and that goes against the number one commandment in the world of magic we protect the secrets and even though it's something that the exposer might view as well it's an old trick or you know it's going to motivate people to create new magic well there are still magicians out there who've invested you know hundreds if not thousands of dollars in these tricks and are using them in, to show so that's disrespect for those to those people as well not only to magic so i just felt like if murray had if it was his decision to do this even though i like him as a person that the magic collector's corner probably wasn't the the family or the 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 group of people best suited for him mm -hmm. and so that's that's why i made the decision you know because we didn't want that kind of stuff we wanted to keep it positive in the magic collector's corner and i remember you had talked about actually removing that thread and then putting up a video saying this is what we're doing have you done that yet yeah. well i closed the comments on it because as social media sometimes as happens in social media, you know, people get off on tangents and people make comments. And then it's not necessarily comments about the original post. It's about comments. About the and human then, being, about the person. Well, and, and either, even other posters. You know, they'll, oh. get, they'll become <laughs> debates between two people, <laughs> okay. you know, yeah. and a little bit of name calling and juvenile uh, behavior. behavior. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I shut off the comments. And as you know, we're here at Magi Fest this weekend. And, and I think it's run its course. We want to – so when I get home, uh, you know, I'll probably make a statement and, and remove it in its entirety because I just don't think it's – I just don't think it's the positive vibe we want for the Magic Collector's Corner. Um, so by the time that this gets posted, that uh, you may not even be able to go to the co co uh, Collector's Corner to see that because you will have removed all of that yeah, and put up something likely. to right. – what are you basically going to be saying? Well, here, here's my position on it. You know, first of all, as I just stated – I think uh, any exposure of magic, just for – as in this case, I view as wholesale exposure. It's unnecessary. It's kind of a cheap way for a cheap laugh or a, ch a cheap uh, reaction, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't approve of it. You know, as a professional magician and someone who loves the art of magic and respects it myself, so, um, you know – I. I'm a pianist as well. My mom was a piano teacher. And I don't understand why 
the people that expose the magic for the sake of exposing it find this entertaining or find it necessary. Uh, because I play the piano for my own relaxation and when friends come over and things like that, you know, I look at it like this. You've got this beautiful instrument there that, you know, costs a lot of money. And if I invited people to come over and say, hey, I'm going to play the piano for you this evening. And I sat down and I, my fingers went up and down the ivories and all this type of thing. And, but no sound came out. Okay. It would be pointless because the purpose is not to sit there and see me go through the motions of moving my fingers up and down these white and black keys. The purpose is to enjoy the magic that it ultimately produces because that's the intent of a piano. In the world of magic, the intent is to provide entertainment and a sense of astonishment or wonder. And when you just come out and expose how a trick's done, it's, it's defeated the whole purpose. So what do you think the harm is of the kind of exposure wholesale exposure that's being done? Well, I think it's disrespectful to, as Marvin Roy would uh, say, the goddess of magic, you know. And also, I think it's hurtful to the people who are still using not necessarily just those tricks, but the methods employed. Because a lot of times, you know, when someone exposes a trick, they're exposing a method. And Scott, you've been in magic your entire life. You know there are only so many methods in magic. They can be they can be camouflaged and used in different ways. Like Daryl Fitzky said, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when we expose a trick, we're also exposing a method. In the case of the world's fastest trick, uh, you know, the, the, the pot and the flowers, the flowers go into the base, into the stem of the, the table. Mm-hmm. Well, there are other tricks that work on similar methods where things sure. go into a, a well in a table or something like that. So, you know, I, I think it's unnecessary. I understand, you know, uh, in this pati- with, with Murray, and again, I hold no ill will against Murray. Uh, he, we just disagree on this. But exposing John Cornelius's pen through anything, anything. Yeah. you know, there are a lot of tricks that you know involve magnets as the mo, and uh, you know, it might lead people to think, well, if that uses magnets and it looks like it's sticking hmm. through the other side, there are probably other things. You they know, can make that leap of uh, yeah, and and ultimately, even if they don't make those conclusions. It's disrespectful to the art, and it's disrespectful to the other people who are still using, you know, those but tricks in the show. But do you think shows. that it harms performing magicians? Uh, I think when... Or do you think that people have a forgetful memory? Well, I do think people have a forgetful memory, but I, I think that's really irrelevant in this case. When the ma- when Valentino came out and Fox Network came out with the, the mass, mass magician, magician mm-hmm. you know... Uh, you and I were both members of WHAM with Walter Yeah, yeah and, and so I know, I know I, because uh, of our involvement in the World Alliance of Magicians where we were literally hiring attorneys, you know, to fight exposure and try to fight Fox and try to protect the integrity of magic. Uh, you were committed to that. So, you know, I, I know that you're, you're committed to uh, maintaining the secrecy of magic. And I just think that um, it – does it hurt magic – not necessarily because people do forget, but it hurts magic from the standpoint that it dis- disrespects magic, you know, as an art form. If there is no, you know, we, we watch all types of variety arts. We watch plate spinners. We watch mimes. We watch jugglers. Ventriloquists. And ventriloquists. And we all know people, when they watch a magician, they, they know there's some secret or some illusion or something, sleight of hand that's involved. Just as the, we, we watch a ventriloquist, we know that, you know, it's the 
the ventriloquist hands that up inside it. But it's kind of fun to look mm-hmm. at that ventrilo- ventriloquist dummy and imagine a pers- real personality there and fall into that illusion for a moment. Uh, it wouldn't be as fun if the if the dummy were completely transparent right. and you could see the hand, you know, up inside of, you know, his backside. Yeah, yeah. and so. It, it it just I think it hurts magic because it disrespects the art and it takes away from the years and years and years of practice that people have put into this, not just mastering the tricks, but the presentation and creating an entertaining experience for audiences. Do you think the consequences of his action was commensurate with the punishment that you handed him? Oh, you know. Or should it be worse or what? <laughs> You know, we have six, 7,000 people on the Magic Collector's yeah. Corner. You know, we've got a large That's group. That's the whole point, of, as opposed to the millions of others who are non-magicians yes. who think this is funny. Yes. You know, the thing about it, was it, was it punishment? I don't even look like, as though it's punishment. I don't even view it as punishment. Mm-hmm. I just felt like that if this is his choice to, to do this, this probably isn't the right group. For him to be a part of, yeah. because I think the vast majority of our members of the Magic Collector's Corner appreciate magic. They appreciate mm-hmm. the history of magic That's and true. they appreciate what it does. Right. And, you know, there might be Facebook groups for people who do what he's doing. But look know. at the average age. I'm going to unreasonable to say that the median age of the, the membership of the Collector's Corner probably is in late 50s. I mean, you've got a lot of people who are older who are more traditionalists, I'm saying. Right. And so those would be the group of people saying, oh, well, darn these young kids. They shouldn't be doing that kind of a thing. Do you think it's kind of like that? Or, I mean, because the younger people seem to be embracing TikTok and other kinds of ways of exposing, if you will, or using the social media in order to get their brand out there. Well, I would imagine that you're correct that our, our median age for – uh, historians and collectors and magic is probably you know, 50 plus. I mm-hmm. certainly can't disagree with that. But I can tell you one of the things that was surprising when Lance and I first started the Sunday night shows, that was at a time, as you well know, mm-hmm. when people had nothing to do. Right. You, you, the conventions were, were canceled. You, know, you couldn't go to a magic convention. You couldn't go to your local club meeting. So they were looking for ways to get their magic fixed. We just happened to stumble into this. And then you also provided similar content, content on Thursday nights with your martinis and magic. Mm-hmm. And we drew in people on the Magic Collector's Corner that were not just collectors or historians. They just loved magic. And I think... As a byproduct of doing that, we got a lot of people interested in the history of magic. That's true. Good point. You did. Because they, you know, I've always said people can't be interested in something they're never exposed to. And when you go to a magic convention, you're only exposed to the latest card slides or things Mm. like that and never learn the history behind those. You know, what Leipzig did or, you know, any of these other people that went before them that created some of these things, you probably don't appreciate it. You're in the moment. Yeah. And so I think the Magic Collector's Corner, we created a lot of people and interest in people in the history and collecting and things like that. So we have a lot of young members who would tune in regularly. Not not unlike, you know, you go to a magic convention here we're here at Magi Fest and it's probably got it probably skews younger mm-hmm. than any other convention. Yeah you know, around, but still, you know, we had young people there, and I think it's important to instill upon them and to set an example for them that, you know, this is what magic was based upon originally, you know, is protecting these secrets and respecting it. Murray would argue, I believe, that he is at a 
position of notoriety within our community that we are looking at him saying, you should know better because of the time and grade you have done this. However, if you were to find other people, as you know, there are thousands out there of YouTubers from all over the world, and you may not even know their, uh, hear their voices, you see their hands, just uh, explaining how magic is done, exposing mm-hmm. it, basically. Mm-hmm. If you were to find out some of these people's names, and they were members of this, would you expel them? Well, sure. Okay. Yeah, because I, once again, uh, not as a, not as an intent to punish them or t- make them sit in the corner or anything like that, or... <laughs> going to be yeah. suspended from school, but just because I feel like it's not the right place. That's not what the Magic Collector's Corner, w- w- that was not the antenna well, of it. Well, David Devon, you know, it. was kicked out of the Magic Circle, but he had yeah. asked for forgiveness, I guess, and was came back and... And, and, you know, I would welcome, you know, uh, another person, you know, not not to bring other people into the fray. But, you know, I've known Justin Flom since he he was a kid. You know, I was producing shows in Branson when he and his family came to town and yeah. and Justin. St- I, I went and, with you to show. Yeah, exactly. And and, uh, you know, I, I took Justin to Malaysia for a big magic festival that I produced there. Justin's a great guy. He's a nice guy. But once again, we disagree. I disagree with him on the decision he's made mm-hmm. to do this. And uh, so it's it's a difference of opinion. Yeah, but I, I'm not out to tear anyone down. I'm not out to punish anyone. I just think as far as our Facebook page is concerned, it, our group, is that it's not the right environment for people who would subscribe to the fact that it's okay to do that, to disrespect magic, and even disrespect fellow magicians who are still using these things, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, a, a lot of times, you know, magicians will create tricks and expose methods in order to create like a sucker effect or sure. something like that. Paper balls you, over the head. Paper balls over the 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 silk to egg. You know, Mark Wilson yeah. did that. Okay, right. you poke a silk into a hollow egg and then you expose that it's a hollow egg. Yeah. But then there's that extra kicker surprise at the end, you know. Uh, so... But it could be argued, I mean, like when Penn and Teller were doing cups and plastic cups and balls and then, then doing that again, obviously that is exposure, but I think the audience, it proves that even though there is... Uh, knowledge on how a trick is done, it still can be fooling, or that they were exposing a thumb tip and they gave one to everyone in their audience in the mm-hmm. theater and said, we're going to show you how to vanish a, a silk or whatever. Uh, that'd be exposure, certainly. Well, and think, honestly, but- Scott, I mean, a lot of, I, I've seen a lot of this content, you know, in comments, and I don't condone that. You know, okay. but uh, that was my question. Right. You know, I use a thumb tip in my own act, yeah. you know, and I wouldn't want every th- everyone to just came from the Penn and Teller show to walk in and to see yeah. my act at the castle. But and they they've all got thumb tips. They wouldn't know them. you had done that. You that, were using that, that because it should be done, you know, repetitiously. Yes. It's like Dunninger who comes out or used to come out, you know, and say, well, some magicians will use these rings that's got to cut it. And I'm not going to use that. He throws them away and then commences to do a linking ring routine. Exactly. You know? And Jonathan Pendragon did that. I remember after the Masked Magician exposed linking rings. He would, in his act, he said, I know many of you may have seen this on TV where he did this and, mm. you know, there was a split in one of the rings. And he went on to do a linking ring routine where everyone felt like they had examined every ring to prove that sure. that was not the cheap way yeah. that this was done. So exposure can't always be bad, I guess what I'm getting to. Well, uh, I think exposure, if you leave it at that, uh, if disrespectful is bad, then I think it's bad. I mean, I know it, it, it's a it's a broad it's a, a broad topic, and it's really hard to address. But we all have our own personal feelings about it, and I think largely because of my upbringing and the the people you know that I, I've associated with over the years. As many people know, I wouldn't be in magic 
if it weren't for Andre Cole. Mm -hmm. And Andre Cole was extremely protective over secrets, Very. even amongst the magicians. Mm -hmm. We were good friends, and I would go to his place in Arizona, and if he was working on a trick before he would take me back into the back room, you know, they would go back there and cover sh things up with sheets. Mm -hmm. And here I'd been in magic for decades, yeah. you know. And so I, I appreciate that. And I think, you know, because those type of people had such a great influence over me, that I need to respect their legacies by, you know, carrying on that same foundational belief. I have said on this podcast a few times leading up to this before, in quoting uh, Jim Steinmeier, of saying the magicians are protecting an empty vault because mm -hmm. secrets are already out there. And I've talked with several magicians who have been doing a show, even at birthday parties, where a kid holds up a phone and said, oh, this is how that's done, mm -hmm. you know. I was just uh, talking with someone recently who was saying they were doing Danny Garcia's Greed, you know. And so he was at a bar. He walked over to the other end of the bar, and 20 minutes later the guy held up a phone and yelled across the bar and said, hey, is this Danny Garcia's trick, you know, kind so, of thing. And I, I firmly believe that if you want to know how any trick is done, you can find out. Mm -hmm. But you have to invest something, usually time or some effort, in order to research that. It makes it very easy to so research okay. these days. No. But I'm saying just to go – just to walk up to someone like the internet tends to do on Facebook and I stuff and just say, look, I'm going to show you this and I'm going to show you how it's done whether you like it or not. Yep, it's and coming on your feed. Right yeah, now. it's, yeah. it's okay. there. In your face. And whereas if someone sees a magician do a trick – and they, they it, wow, they can go find out how it's done. Mm -hmm. With today's technology and the Internet and things like that, by and large, they can go find out how it's done. Or they can at least find theories on how it's done. That's true. You know, a lot of what we see online, you know, they say, you know, David Copperfield, such and such trick exposed. And I've mm -hmm. watched some of those things. <laughs> wow, yeah. you missed the mark, you know. <laughs> but, hey, you know. You know, it doesn't matter. So at the end of the day, uh, I think exposure for the sake of exposure, uh, when P the, the person being exposed to has made no investment in, in it, made no consideration whether they didn't buy a book, they didn't even Google it on their phone, which they carry with them all the time, but yet – they, they, it, was, it was shoved down their throat, essentially. Mm -hmm. I think that's wrong. Well, to kind of wrap up, as far as going forward, do you think this, I mean, obviously that we've seen like Rick and Mortar Magic Shops trying to close a use. Of course, there have been so many books that have uh, essentially exposed, like a Poundstone had this uh, book of secrets and it was exposing Copperfield's uh, Statue of Liberty vanish and so many other things uh, that over the years, since, you know, Houdini had the unmasking of uh, Robert Hernan and uh, guys, you can probably go back to Moses, I guess, you know, of, of the... Uh, turning his staff into a serpent, and the pharaoh said, let me show you, I can do that with mine too, you know. But the point was that uh, we are in a time right now in which the things are moving so much more quickly, there's no way, to, I think, to kind of stop this. So in the future, going forward, do you think you're going to try to continue to, to speak up as you have, or are you just going to shrug and say, eh, that's just the way it is? Well, I, I'll always, I feel like I'll always hold that belief, but... You know, you mentioned about this being published in a book, David Copperfield's Vanishing Statue of Liberty, and it goes back to, I think, what this is doing on the Internet is that I honestly, when people start to watch one of Murray or Justin or Rick Lax's videos, I don't even think they know what they're watching. I don't even know that they th know they're watching a magic trick. Right. But it's there, it's engaging, and then it's given to them. 
with something published in a book. At least someone's got to go to Amazon I and see. buy a book or go to a library and check out the book and do some reading, make some type of investment of time. But if it shows up on their feed. Yeah, without them even knowing what yeah. they're looking at until it's already been exposed, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, I think that that's where it becomes into – you know the the wholesale level of oh. exposure. Well, in that case, like in Rick Lex, I'm sorry, in uh, Justin Flom's case, in which he actually had exposed the deceptive base early on. That was one of the first uh, videos in which I guess a, a, the, the guy was looking for his it. girlfriend, and he, yeah. she hid in some base, and the boyfriend couldn't mm -hmm. find her, and then she popped out. And so it was a funny video that was his intent, and uh, an exposure of that that made people then think, "Huh, if she can hide in there, I guess that's where other." When I see other magicians have someone vanish or appear, they must be in that base also and mm -hmm. so it, he had like 10 million views you know on that then mm -hmm. too. so there are a lot of people who but then he's gone on and used that as a as a springboard in which that he has developed his career uh and no longer does magic as he said he hadn't done magic in like four years and uh he's he's making money now he's uh, an internationally known spray paint artist i mean there are different mm. you know kinds of things i that didn't people, know that there you go <laughs> you know, well but you know it, what you're talking about is true because when when the secrets of magic reveal the fox i I remember one time they showed a levitation of a woman. It was basically an Aga-style levitation with a bar through the back curtain. But behind the curtain, when they revealed it, there was a forklift back right. there with what? a forklift driver sitting yes. on it. Yeah. And the bar, you know, like one of those carpet roll mover type things. Yes. And, you know, the girl was lifted up like that. I can't tell you, as someone who has done Walter Blaney's ladder levitation for decades, that people, I during that time, people were saying, oh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know, but it, there's a forklift somewhere, you know, or something like that. You know, <laughs> I don't know how that one's done, but I, I, I have never, ever known a magician to use a forklift. Yeah. Well, I think know? that was Val's intent was like, right. okay, I'm going to show some outdated things. The magician's not going to chastise me because these aren't used anymore or they're kind of silly. And But I think that you're right, that if you give a, an audience an idea of how to do it, they kind of extrapolate that into saying, well, I may not know how this one's done. I don't know how Siegfried and Roy made that elephant uh, vanish in the middle of the their runway, you know, whatever. But I know another way that they could have done But it, even know. with a forklift, even though magicians don't use forklifts to cause a lady to levitate in midair, some levitations do involve a I bar coming through the back curtain. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, some of these proponents of this type of exposure will say, well, you know, we're doing something good for magic. We're, we're forcing magicians to become more creative and develop new methods and new materials. Well, to me, that, Fox, I that, think, that, that's, that's a bit of a cop-out, yeah. you know, as far as I'm concerned, because, first of all, it's not their place to, their place to do that, you know. Um, you know, if magicians want to create new things, I think magic has evolved on its own without this type of help, mm -hmm. you know, pushing it forward over the last several decades with great new creative young minds in the business who are doing things. You know, I would say 30 years ago when I go to a magic convention – um, and I'd see a magician perform, particularly a stage magician. Was I fooled? Not as oft, not, not a lot. I appreciate the presentation. But today, some of these new methods and techniques, I'm blown away. Yeah. You know, and I've been in magic, you know, for almost 60 I love years. I yeah. 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 So, but, you know, I appreciate, I, I just want to go on the record to say that I hold no personal animosity against anyone that chooses this direction. And even though it, us removing Murray from the Magic Collector's Corner seems to have ignited, you know, a new level of controversy on this. Uh, it was not with ill intent against him. I just felt like it wasn't. It wasn't the group of people 
you know, you right. know, for him, right. you know. So, Fair enough. All right. Fair enough. David, thank you very much. I appreciate you, your in-depth analysis over here of this <laughs> as well. So. I can talk about something, can't I? <laughs> yes, you can, with a passion, too. <laughs> Good to see you, Thank Scott. you very much thank for the Magic you. Word Podcast. That was David Sandy. This is Scotty Allen. Next up, we will speak with Mr. Bill Smith, who is the president of Bill Smith's Magic Ventures, who is an illusion builder. And I do want to read something that he had sent to me that has to do specifically with the Aldalasia's world's fastest trick that Murray had exposed. He had said that he had come across a letter to the editor from Stan Allen's Inside Magic back in February 1991. And Al DeLays actually chimes in on thievery, and I can only imagine what he would think of his, quote, most famous invention, unquote, being exposed. At that time, what he said was, I think my most famous invention is the vanishing flowers from a table, called the fastest trick in the world. I used it for many years and then gave the rights to Horace Marshall in Akron, Ohio. Everybody started making them, not even giving me credit. Today, it is a standard. I was booked on a big magic show, five other magicians on the bill, all of them doing my fastest trick. I thought surely they would take it from their act, but no, they all wanted to do it. I talked the committee into letting me open the show and let the magicians decide how to handle things. They all did the trick. That just goes to show you how great of a trick that was back then, and really still is. Well, anyhow, let's hear what Bill Smith has to say with us this week. So please welcome my guest, Bill Smith, here on The Magic Word. I have with me now Bill Smith, who is a builder, uh, inventor. He's been a performer and he assisted uh, Blackstone, has performed so many different places and is uh, in, in Las Vegas and at one point had worked with the World Alliance of Magicians which was founded by Walter Blaney way back when, of course, was something that was founded when we had the exposure of uh, Val Valentino and the Mass Magician, and that made all the news, and uh, many magicians were trying to keep him from exposing. And so anyhow, Bill was involved with that then as well, and uh, he has uh, some good ideas and thoughts also on exposure and why that we should uh, keep our secret secret. Here he is right now. Hey, Bill. Good to see you, Bill Smith. Hey. Nice to see you, Scott. You as well. One quick question before we kind of get into this. Is there any change in your opinion of the importance of defending secrets different now than it may have been 40 years ago? We were you just before we started recording, you said you've been doing magic for 45 years. And is there any change? Has it gotten stronger, weaker? You kind of see a gray area? Or what are your thoughts? It, it seems like it's cyclical where it goes we have we don't have a lot of it and then somebody does it so yeah. uh one of the you know in the the camel cigarette thing was a big deal in the right. like the 30s and 40s i believe or and uh people were in uproar over that and dunninger exposed a few things in scientific magazine i believe people were magicians who were uproar of that so in my my career the, the big one was this Herb, Herb, uh, uh herbert becker and it was the one, 101 greatest magic secrets exposed. Right. And he did other ones too. And, 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 and he really exposed Copperfield stuff and all that. And so mm -hmm. that was a big deal. Um, and that was and in the public was, domain. That was a book that was available like at Barnes that's and Noble. Yeah. All this stuff you can find, you know, 
you go to the library and you can actually research and you can find all these secrets. But what we, we have a problem with is just putting it out there, making it cheap. It looked cheap. You know, you just uh, like the mass magician. The, what, what, what I hated about more than anything was this Nicholas Pelleggi, the actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the host. Uh, it was, yeah, the host. He was just so sarcastic about it when they would say, oh, see how dumb this is. You know what it was? Right. It was just that. It looked like, oh, it's so simple. It's stupid. And that was the that was the feel of it. So I think it just cheapens it. If somebody wants to learn magic, uh, go to the they can go to the library if they seek it out. Putting out these exposures just to uh, and that what's the problem with going on with uh, what Murray's doing and also uh, Justin Flom and of, of that ilk. They're putting out to millions of people that um, and, and it, it, it just cheapens the thing. And, and, and that's what I that's what I have a problem with. It's just different when uh, when it was just in a book and you read it. Uh, now it's millions of people are seeing it and it's just not. It's not good. You know, when you say it cheapens something, the art, then also, does that directly impact your business? Do you find Well, that... not on this, yeah, because I don't make the fastest trick, even though, you know, when uh, the whole thing was, Murray was just saying, oh, that's an old trick nobody does. Well, that's not true. It's still a great trick. I know several people that do it. And uh, I worked for Harry Blackstone for 10 years. And for the first few years, I was the Merlin in the show. Mm-hmm. And so it was a running gag where the Merlin would come out and do a trick and and then just established my character, Merlin. And then we used the, uh, and somebody was saying, oh, Blackstone exposed the fastest. Well, we didn't. I came out my last bit and I had the pot of flowers. I tried to like make it disappear. Couldn't make it disappear. Then I took out a gun and I shot the gun off and then the flowers disappeared. Mm-hmm. Then Harry would come out and go, what was that? Who was that? Who got shot? And then, and, and that's what that gag was. So it's not really, it's just it's when you get offensive, you just go, OK, no one does that trick. Well, who cares? You know, mm-hmm. Justin Flom exposed this, the crystal box. Well, oh, well, it's a big fat base. Who really cares? Well, once people know they're the girls down there, no matter how deceptive it is, they go, well, I don't think she can. It doesn't look like she can fit down there, but she's got to be in there because mm-hmm. I saw them do it on on YouTube or wherever the TikTok where the hell these things are. So, like I said, it's cheap. It's a cheap way to go. Because, uh, I mean, like he's Murray, like he said, he's had it in his show, but it's different from paid customers coming to see a show or versus just putting out there for free as an exposure. So, uh, but it's cheap. It cheapens magic and it's just a cheap way to go. Hey, I've got this, which is a, and it was a fairly bad uh, fastest trick. The flowers mm-hmm. didn't look good. And the tube is really was pretty thick, but it was just a cheap way to go. And, and I, I just don't think it's right. So, well, Hugh had also said, and we had a uh, recording that we had posted then with uh, with Murray earlier. And I, I know you've not heard this one yet because um, we're recording this before this actual his uh, episode gets posted. But he was still defending that and uh, saying that there are things that uh, he is doing and will continue to do because it's in the public domain and it's easy to find. Uh, and a lot of times we trip across these things. And anyhow, I mean, the fact that you make money on this is almost immaterial. That's uh, it's, it's not immaterial. I mean, obviously there is money and big money uh, in this, as you mentioned, Rick Lax and, and uh, Justin Flom and, and Murray and, and uh, 
Kyle Knight and many others, you know, who are who are doing that and have made uh, uh, good good livings on that. Um, but they have um, uh, they're continuing though to uh, expose magic uh, and are kind of doubling down on this, and so they really don't see any problem with that. Well, I think I don't think Murray's exposed that much. I mean, I know somebody did the uh, multiplying bottles. I don't know who. I don't watch that stuff. You know, that, I think he the only did. Reason, yeah, no, I think it was him in which yeah he was had had done it in reverse. And and then went forward with it. So well, was, that, that's a trick that you know is every a lot of people do it. It's a very strong trick, you know. Uh, our friend Nick Lewin has one of the best routines mm -hmm. doing it, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's just uh, it, when when Penn and Teller because Penn and Teller obviously have been brought up on this this kind of stuff, but for the most part, the the big things that they expose are, are things they just kind of make up, you know, like that that one thing where Teller's underneath the stage. Oh, yes. It slides underneath, around. pops exactly. up his head. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of stuff that they do. When, uh, yeah, so. Well, they did the cups and balls with plastic cups. Right, right. Yeah. So, but anyways, he, uh, he can just say whatever he wants to say about, well, so-and-so is doing it. I don't care what you think or whatever. But he's a magician. He started as a kid, like all of us. Mm -hmm. He loves the... He, I thought he loved the art of magic and, and if his mentor, you know, his mentor, Marvin Roy was, was still alive. Marvin would not be happy with what he's doing and he can disagree with that, but I'm standing behind that a hundred percent because I knew Marvin probably longer. According, I know longer than Murray. I'm uh, not knowing I knew him better, but he, he just would not condone that. And that's, that's where he mainly, mainly lies. I just think Murray owes, the magic community an apology but if he doesn't want to i don't really care mm -hmm. you know it's like and, I, and i'll never I, you know it's not like I'm not, i'll never talk to him again but it's i just don't think it's right and sure. and he and and so now I, I, what the next step is is he and yeah, so we'll see what is your definition of exposure what do you consider to be exposure magic well when they when they show you do a trick and uh Right. And then for there was no reason for them to expose it uh, mm -hmm. in, in that particular case. So did it add to the the, the the thing vanished and she came in and and took it away? What what's the hook? Is it was it funny? Not really. But so I don't know. Well, um, he was saying in that case that it was he had had a lot of comments and people saying that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. You've done a lot of other videos. You know, the look on your wife's face. Like, it's just uh, a lot of people. He said, well, that's just YouTube people saying it. I yes, guess. exactly. They're not magicians saying that. Yeah. And anyway, I'm just saying as a magician being, you know, I've been in the business performing and building for 45 years. You know, I've been a, a, a magic enthusiast for 60 almost mm -hmm. almost 60 years so it's always just been there's nothing wrong with the you know you keep the secrets you, you don't expose stuff you, right. you just don't that's a very basic and it's like okay it might be corny and old-fashioned but that's what i believe i made a good living out of building magic tricks if if uh the people knew how all these illusions were worked were exposed uh you know i'd be out of business because really what happened on the the Valentino one, mass magician. We heard that uh, that the uh, he was going to expose the table of death. 
Mm-hmm. But that's Andre Coles. That's Andre Coles, course, right? All, yeah, right. Andre was already involved in the Wham thing, and right. and I'd sent money to Wham, and and as it turns out, the attorney they had for this, uh, 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 why am I blank on Chris Chris Angel's um, manager? Anyways, he he's the one that they got hired for Wham. And did a great job. By the way, by the way, David, people who are listening who may not know that's the World Alliance of Magicians. Yeah, correct, right. And the um, so once that thing aired, I had just got a deposit for a table of death, and the guy stopped the, the stopped the build, stop payment because because it, 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 it we used it for you know I didn't I gave him his deposit back, mm-hmm. and so I lost the job because of that. Hmm. So it does really affect you. You know, when they were saying, oh, it doesn't affect you. Well, carrying this on, you had uh, touched on something there earlier, Bill, as far as what Dunninger was doing and uh, some of the books that were written also that were exposing magic and still do that you can find publicly. And with a little bit of research, anybody can find that. Nowadays, it seems like that exposure is something that is endemic in our culture in the world because of the immediacy of the Internet in which that we can let people know like immediately whatever happens in the world, whatever the news is going to be. And likewise, when people are, some magicians are performing and then someone will they pull up their phone and say, Oh, is this how that works? You know, and they've, you know, yeah. they know exactly, you know, they can, well, they, they want it. If they're seek, they, they can seek it out. That's one yeah. thing to seek, seek it so out. So with people, I'm just saying, this is the direction of our art. I think that, we're going to have to learn to live with it. Unfortunately, this is just the the way the future. And I'm not talking about necessarily magicians, but I think there are a lot of people who are not magicians who are just buying some of these tricks and they'll do an unboxing and explain how this stuff works. And you don't know who they are. All you see are their hands and the YouTube or whatever. And you can, you can find this, but you're right. That is something that people have to seek out. Well, Murray has a show daily at the Tropicana. And so, I don't know if he's doing it over there, but if it wouldn't be much of a show when he comes out or in here or lefty does a trick and somebody gets up and, go, and exposes it every trick. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't get uh, what the difference is uh, when, you know, and the YouTube TikTok thing is a whole different model that I don't even get. I get they're mm-hmm. making all kinds of money, but I don't, I don't, I don't get it at all. So I just, I just think exposing just for the sake of exposing where uh, where it's not really even necessary uh, is not right. Now that's my personal opinion. You know, I'm a 69 year old, you know, <laughs> old, old dinosaur magician, you know, well, to me, you're so a young who man. Gives, who cares what I think, you know, <laughs> really, but, but I do care about this stuff. And, and I, and I work with a lot of people that do mm-hmm. and, or talk, I talk to, you know, almost every day, David Copperfield, uh, we talk about these type of things. Talk to Lance Burton, you know. Have you uh, talked to David about these... that specifically? What does he say? Oh, talk, yeah. What's yeah. his thought on exposure? Or I, you know, he was at his island when we when I sent it to him, and so and other people sent it to him. So I know. I mean, I know him well enough to know that it's not. You know, David's never been a part of it, exposing anything. Right. I mean, or, or would he be? So, uh, anyways, I just think. Uh, Murray came out pretty hot. If he would have just said, "Hey, I'm sorry, guys," uh, but but he got very defiant, and I think that's the whole ilk of these Rick Lax and Justin Flom, and they're all very uh, defensive. They seem to not care, but they do care. I mean, they show up at Magic Live, and 
you know, I, 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 maybe they're wondering why people are shunning them. Um, but I, I, I think in the bot in, in the bottom line, they do really care. But this is a way that they're making their living, and they're making a good living. So good for them. I believe it was Jim Steinmeier, and I've quoted this uh, a time or two in some other episodes, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Jim had said that uh, magicians are protecting an empty vault. So it's something like that. Yeah, or is that. it an unlocked vault or something? Well, that's, like that. it's, all, it's all true, but but that's a, that, that's what we do. You You can't be exposing all these things, or who wants to go to a magic show? If they know how everything works. Well, Murray's argument would be that it would force you then to show that in a creative way, because they're going to come in saying, like you just said about a bass. OK, well, she's fit in there. Some I can't see how, but I like the dance. I like the music. And I they still buy a ticket to come see a show. Well, I, I don't buy that. I'm, but, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm not but, agreeing or disagreeing. No, I'm just no, no, what he I, says. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. So but the one thing real interesting when when Valentino came around. Uh, we we're all wondering who it was, right? And so uh, Rick Marcelli, who was used to be Copperville's manager in the early days, his wife was working as a makeup artist on them, and they were taping this thing mm-hmm. in, in Hollywood. And so Stan heard from Rick Marcelli, Stan Allen, that uh, his wife, makeup artist's wife was saying, well, the magician, he's a Latino guy, and he's working in, in uh, Louisiana, Bossier City, I think. Casino. Down. Yeah. And Stan told me this. I go, I said, it's Valentino. I just, I just shipped him up like a sword box uh-huh. to Louisiana. And that's yeah. who it is. So I did say, goes, this is great. Stan immediately calls up. And this is while they were just taping, you know, we, we heard about it. Uh-huh. And Stan called up Val and said, Hey, are you the mass magician? And then Val's like, Hamana, 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 you know, like <laughs> Jackie Gleason. Yeah. And uh, no, what? No, no, what? So he really thought he was going to sneak in, do it, and get the hell out, but he didn't. And then he would, then he was all in. It's like, and mm-hmm. Val was a, I don't know if you ever knew him. I did. I, I've, I've met him several times. He worked the Magic Island. I worked with him frequently. First time I worked the Magic Castle in like 1974 uh, was with Val. Mm-hmm. And, Nice he, guy. He had the most charisma time. of anybody I've ever seen because after the show was over, women would just come up to the stage, you know, yeah. wanting to go so out had, with him. Yeah, he had a good thing going. The Latino thing was, you know, it, it, he was about the only Latino magician around. Mm-hmm. And he, he was always steadily working. I'm sure he was probably making, you know, maybe 80, 80, 100 grand a year doing Pretty magic shows. Then. Yep. Yeah, but then I I just heard he had some financial problems. Thought he'd go in and make a quick thirty, thirty thousand, and then think then thought it would just go away, and it didn't. So, uh, but then a lot of us, Peter Pitt and I were were on when Peter lived here in Vegas. We we would go on the local news and and really, you know, talk about it and 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 call him out, which we were giving him them Fox publicity by sure. doing that. But the best line was Peter Pitt said, and and Peter knew Val really well too because peter's the one that booked us at the castle at the castle right and peter looks right in the camera on on the whatever news it was here and says well what you're doing exposing our secrets is bs and i don't mean barbara streisand <laughs> so anyways it was uh do you know if Val is still alive? I've asked Fielding. Well, supposedly, there was something. Uh, somebody posted something 
he's doing shows again down in South America. Really? Okay. But uh, as far as I know, he no one has seen him in many, many years. And mm-hmm. I heard he had some health issues. So that's, but anyways, I, uh, um, it's just a, it turned out, you know, a, a Mark Gilday, which I'm glad Mark did. He posted it on Magic Collector's Corner and kind of went viral in our little world, you know, and, uh, and so we'll see how it all plays out. Do you think, you know, we'll close with this. Do you think that the, the consequences of the actions were appropriate? In other words, by banning Murray from the Facebook pages and different forums and things, just starting to out him, is that proper? Should it go further? That's, that's David, David, Sandy and Lance Rich. And I think I, I, they can do whatever they want. Well, it's sure, it's your page. I mean, and, it's and, Luke, and, I, Luke and it's a matter too. Of, yeah, and I think it's like uh, part of David's made it very clear what this, what his Magic Collector's Corner is, mm-hmm. you know? and and my Magic Collector Expo is an offshoot. Uh, of, if he of that. if he had registered, if if Murray would register for the convention, would you accept his registration? <laughs> Yeah, God, mine's a history. It's a history thing. I'm not gonna. I'm and I'm not gonna shun him. Okay. You know, I I wish he would have. You know, we're not super close. But when he when he started doing Pawn Stars early on, mm-hmm. uh, he he contacted me several times asking about, you know, uh, the different items, the handcuffs and straight jackets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, if he would have called me and said, "Hey, I'm thinking about it," you know, doing this fastest trick on my TikTok or YouTube thing. I would have said that's not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think Marvin would have done the same thing. But anyway, back to David Sandy and Lance, they do have an ethics thing on Magic Collector's Corner. And um, also, they don't, people try to sell stuff on there all the time and they get people, they get shut down. It's not for that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but that's what David chose to do. And, um, well, I know that the major organizations, uh, the Magic Circle and the IBM and the SAM, uh, have ethics laws in which they would boot people out. And they have David Devant even, you know, way back when yeah. the Circle yeah, uh, right. and brought him back in. Uh, I guess he asked for forgiveness. I don't know what the story and all that was way back when. But the the point is, I know they, they do have these ethics and grievances committees in which they would look at this and decide if somebody should be ousted from an organization. Yeah, well... I, I yeah I don't anyways I um, I wish Murray and all those guys luck I just wish you know you can make a good living great living doing magic shows don't need to go on TikTok and YouTube but that's what they've chosen to do I understand so. well thank you Bill I just wanted to get to your okay. opinion I know that you had some uh, long held thoughts and uh, again being uh, uh, a builder as you are and uh, you have some good thoughts there appreciate that okay thanks Scott. All right, so the Magic Board Podcast, that was Bill Smith. This is Scotty out. We complete this triumvirate of magicians with Mark Holstein, an attorney, who will tell us his side of why he believes that we should not break the code of ethics and why it is important that we protect those secrets. So please welcome my guest now, Mr. Mark Holstein, here on The Magic Word. Mark Holstein is someone who has been a stage manager at Abbott's for 
40 years, and he's been attending since 1978, and so he's been coming along for such a long time, and someone who has uh, also is a collector himself of uh, major illusions and uh, knew uh, Dorney uh, way back when, and so he's not necessarily from the old school, but he keeps up with what is happening because of how that you have to with technology, certainly, as being a stage manager and everything. But I want to talk with you about exposure and what your opinions are of whether that it's right or good, what we're doing today, and which the social media would allow people to have greater access and immediate access to learning tricks that we didn't have before when we had to serve as an apprentice. Is that a good direction or that we should be going, or should that we put the brakes on that, or it's just kind of like, okay, well, let's brush back our hair and go with it. But let me go back. First of all, what do you see? Then, Mark, what is your ex- definition of magic exposure? Yeah, so I, to me, um, you know, magic exposure is not new. It's always been around. Sure. It's been around, you know, before the turn of the century, mm-hmm. prior century, I should say. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, you know, there were ads that exposed magic for cigarette companies and the like. So there's nothing new here. Mm-hmm. I think the difference is with social media, it's just reaching a much wider audience. Um, you know, and for me, uh, magic exposure comes down to questions of respect and integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think as magicians, we have a duty to respect the art, uh, and exposure doesn't. You know, does it ultimately matter? I don't think it does. Um, you know, I think... What do you mean by uh, that? Because people yeah. have short memories, or...? No, I think audiences don't really care and don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, we talked earlier, Scott, about our friend Jim Steinmeier, who says magicians guard an empty safe, and I think that's very insightful. You know, anybody that wants to access magic secrets can, mm-hmm. um, and you know, with a little bit of effort, you can find uh, you know the secrets, and then with a little bit more effort, you join our our community, and you know, secrets are are openly shared, and that's fine, and that's good. We need that to continue the, you know, continue the art moving forward. But they wouldn't find it if they are not looking for that, so that is some exposure that people are looking for as opposed to yeah. the same exposure, which may just come over your social Precisely. feed that you're not looking and for. And I think that's the difference. I think gratuitous exposure is the issue in my mind, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm sure people would disagree with that, and they're, they're free to, but you know, um, when you put it in front of people whether they want to see it or not. I'm, I don't support that, and mm-hmm. I think it shows a complete lack of respect for magic and the magic community. Not because our secrets are so valuable or so precious or we're so important in knowing them. It's just, you know, most audiences want to see a magic show, and they want to enjoy it, and they want to be fooled. And, you know, when you gratuitously expose things, and particularly things that aren't yours to expose, I think it's a problem. I think it shows a lack of respect and a lack of integrity. Do you think people enjoy a magic show less? if they know the secret? Or do you think that it's like, oh, I'm an educated audience. I know yeah. how this works, but I'm still going to buy a ticket because I want to see how this guy, you know, it, what his pr- presentation is of It's this. a great question, and I think it should be a matter of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, years ago, maybe they're still doing it, I don't know, Penn & Teller opened their show in Las Vegas with something they call The Choice. Mm-hmm. And the idea was right. they presented an illusion, and they told you the secret is going to be revealed if you keep your eyes open, mm-hmm. or you can close your eyes and be fooled. Uh, and you, it's your choice. And it was interesting to me because I looked around, and I would say three-quarters of the audience closed their eyes. Really? That much? It, at least huh. in the show I saw. Interesting. It might be different. I'm sure it's yeah. different show to show. Yeah. But I thought it was a very intelligent way to kind of tease that out, you know, mm-hmm. that most people still want to enjoy the illusion. They want to be fooled. Well, I believe there's a Santa Claus. Yeah, and when you force an exposure in front of them, uh, whether they want to see it or not, I just don't think that's healthy, and I think it shows a lack of respect. Hmm. Okay. Does it matter whether they're exposing 
methods or the whole trick or whether it's stage illusion or close-up or exposure exposure I, th- I yeah I mean, if it's an old trick and something yeah. that may be outdated or something that may be Occam's razor it's obviously I mean like what Murray had done recently with uh, uh, Al Delage's world fastest trick you yeah. know with the flower feather flower yep. in the vase I mean in the in the base basically yep. it seems like the audience if they just would think about it a moment oh it had nowhere to go but there you know those kinds is it okay to expose something that is obvious or not I don't think so I think, you're saying you draw the line uh, well, first of all there's no I, gray area no uh, well there's always gray areas but I to use well, your you're an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I saw the video you're referring to, and I don't want to make this personal. You know, I don't really know Murray. I don't, you know, so I don't want to uh, be in a position of attacking him personally. I thought that video was cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I don't think it was very entertaining from my perspective. Others may have a different view, mm-hmm. uh, and and I'm sure his views will prove me wrong. But um, you know, I I just thought it cheapens him. I think mm-hmm. it's e- it's an easy, cheap way to create content mm-hmm. that I think diminishes him as a performer, in my view. Well, Justin Flom had uh, one of his initial videos was exposing a deceptive base. Yes. Uh, and he had 10 million views for that, or more and more. Yeah. Uh, and he is the most well known influencer, I guess, with billions of views for all of his videos that they have seen before. And so uh, he's continuing to expose, well, he's done expose magic like he did. He hadn't done magic now in four years yeah. or so, you know. Yeah. I think that would be just as wrong. So, again, that's really not a gray area. It's black and white. I mean, even though that he was exposing a method, that's still wrong, in your opinion. That's well, first of all, deceptive base in some form or another is still a very viable method yeah. in magic. So I think exposing it, it's not his to expose, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. But, you know, look, his views, obviously people are interested in watching it. I don't know Justin, but, you know, you kind of hit on it. He's no longer performing magic. and. Right. You know, I don't know. Does he want his legacy to be? You know, I did cheap exposures of other people's methods uh, and sort of spoiled magic for people. Is that how he wants to be remembered? That's up to him. Um, but he will be remembered by magicians as that, but not necessarily the rest of the public who he's gone on to. I mean, he's known as a spray artist, spray paint artist now. You yeah, know. but in, in the context of magic, he's going to be remembered by the general True. public as making cheap content, exposing magic. I, you know, it, to me, it shows a lack of respect and integrity. That's how he wants to be remembered. That's on him. Yeah. Well, that's true. And a lot of these guys, and also when I say guys like Rick Lax and, uh, let's say, uh, uh, Kyle uh, Knight and some others have started with magic, but they've kind of launched that into something else. Like, let's say, Kyle and Misty's case, they're doing recipes now. Sure. Yeah. You know, so they kind of, once you develop a following and people are enjoying whatever that you're ex- displaying and you're making some money on it, it's like, okay, well, there's only a finite number of magic tricks that we can expose or might be of interest. And so let's, yeah. let's find our own niche, you know. Yeah, and I, don't get me wrong, I'm not you know kind of shaking my fist at the clouds about social media i you know i i've seen some of uh uh the night's cooking videos and and that's great if people enjoy that there's there's no issue there of respect or integrity in my view you know they're doing something that people are obviously enjoying and and that's fantastic you know one of the great things about social media is it you know it really democratizes um creating content and making it available to the public. You don't need a TV studio. You don't need big production budgets. Everybody. Yeah. And that's great. Um, I just think exposing magic is cheap and easy way to create content, and it diminishes the performer. Um, you know, uh, Mur- Murray, you brought up the example. You know, he's got a show in Las Vegas. He's, he's doing a legitimate magic show. I would argue he's better than that. And mm-hmm. to, to, you know, create content by exposing other people's tricks. 
I, I, it's not my cup of tea. I don't know that we're going to be able to stop this. I mean, it's something in which Walter Blaney had started with the World yeah. Alliance of Magicians years ago, yeah. back when the mass magician was going on, and as you had pointed out, you know, but prior to the 20th century, and I would say it even goes back to Moses with, you know, turning his, <laughs> you know, staff into a snake, you know, and, and the yeah. rest of the pharaohs, well, you do that too, and they'll, you know, show how they do that. Yeah. Uh, so we've had that, and even on the tombs of Cheops with the cups and balls, oh, that's how you do that, you know. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. anyhow, my point is, do you think that we, since we can't stop this, should we embrace it, and where do you think the future of exposure is going to be going? I completely agree with you that we can't stop it. Um, you know, and we, it's, you know, we have a First Amendment in our country. So and should we try to stop? I, I don't think we can. With I our voices. Yeah, no, I think, you know, the magician's community is a small community. That's and, and, you know, when you're talking about the kind of views you're talking about, we can't stop it. No. Um, but, you know, it doesn't mean we have to respect it or support it. Uh, mm-hmm. But, no, we can't stop it. And at the end of the day, I would argue that it doesn't really matter. And I, I'll give you an example. Back, uh, we're old enough to remember The Masked Magician and those television specials, which were horrible shows. Yeah, they were. But the first one, he exposed his zigzag illusion, which, mm-hmm. you know, I uh, made me sad. because it's not it's his illusion. Cla- it's yeah. not his illusion. It's a classic in magic, and it still plays, and it yeah. still works. So that, that following weekend, Sue and I had a show, and I said, let's take the zigzag as an experiment. We hadn't planned to do an illusion, but mm-hmm. let's take it as an experiment and see how it plays. And you know what? It played great. Uh, and I don't know how many people in the audience actually saw the show, but it was a highly rated show. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter at all, because the truth is, a layman will see the secret, and 20 minutes later, they've forgotten it. True. Um, and so it doesn't matter, but it doesn't mean that what Val did was okay. It wasn't his to expose. It showed a complete lack of respect for the art of magic. And at the end of the day... The guy who lost the most by doing that was Val. He hasn't sure. worked since he did those specials. Many years ago, there was the World's Greatest Magic, that Gary Ouellette TV yeah, specials. Sure, and during the commercial breaks, Matt King and some others were saying, okay, they'll do a trick and we'll tell you how it's done when you come back to the commercial break. Yeah. One of the things where it was where you would cut and restore a handkerchief, mm-hmm. okay? I saw Steve Wyrick perform his stage show, and at the very beginning, he walked down stage, you know, please welcome Steve Wyrick. He walked out and did the very trick the same week that that had been presented, yep. as if to say to the audience, this is still a good trick. Without saying that, how many of you saw this? Or He just did the trick, as yep. you normally would, yep. and just kind of smiled at the audience, and then he produced a helicopter. He said, okay, that's a small thing. Let's do something big. Exactly. But he was kind of proving the points, like, I don't care who saw it or not, but you, if you did, it's still a good trick. Because if you're not involved in magic, you're not going to retain it. You know, it's even true for magicians. I was at a convention a couple of years ago when Mike Close was doing a workshop. Mm-hmm. And he said, how many of you saw me at this convention four years ago? Mm-hmm. And everybody raised their hand. He said, how many of you remember the trick I did? No <laughs> one did. Uh, you know, how many of you remember the method? No one did. Yeah. And so then he spent the rest of the time talking about his work on Fool Us, which was much more interesting and I can sure. remember to this day. Yeah. So the methods just aren't that interesting. Uh, and certainly as a layperson, you're not going to remember uh, mm-hmm. what you saw maybe 20 minutes after you saw it. It just cheapens the so art. So we should just kind of shrug and say, eh, it's going to happen, let it go. Is that kind I'm of what I hear you saying? No, no, I'm not saying that. I think, you know, you and I and others who care about this art aren't mm-hmm. going to gratuitously explo- expose right, it. Correct. Somebody shows a real interest. We're gonna we're teach. gonna share and yeah. teach and yeah. and that's what you know how I grew up. It's how you apprenticeship. Grew up. Sure. Yeah, uh, but to cheaply expose it, I don't have to support that, and I don't. Uh, but is it? But all I'm saying is, at the end of the day, what it really does is cheapens and diminishes the exposure, mm-hmm. in my view. Uh, and so they're going to do it. You know, they're going to continue to expose. They're going to get views. Uh, I guarantee that most of the people who saw Murray do the fastest mm-hmm. won't remember it the next day 
Uh, I'm sure and, that's true. Yeah. And I mean, so, I know that is still a trick in some people's repertoire. Not many, but there are some people who would do yeah, that still. Yeah, and, and they won't remember. Uh, but, you know, what is what has Murray done for himself? Yeah, he's made some money. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, for me, the way I was raised is, you know, integrity is what you do when nobody's looking. And, uh, you know... Um, I like that. You know, he, he, he'll live with his choices, and he probably feels great, great about them. He does. I'm sure. And um, it doesn't mean I have to like it, but he d- probably doesn't care what I think. Yeah, well, magicians are not booking him, you know. It's the yeah. lay audience yeah. that books him. And if he gets all these kind of views, it's kind of like... I talked with someone recently who was uh, showcasing uh, at NACA, and so they were trying to you know, get some college shows. Yeah. And afterwards, I think he got like three shows for the whole year, and they were saying, you don't have a social following. You know, we're looking at people who have all of these views on TikTok and on Instagram and have a big social following that are kind of influencers. My point being is that Murray gets those kinds of things, so therefore he can get those kinds of shows. Look, look, you know, I'm not diminishing his success. What I'm saying is ultimately I believe that lay audience will look at what he's doing and he's diminished it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not that impressive anymore because he showed us it's stupid. Certainly within the magic community. No, I think even the people who view it on YouTube, you know what he's demonstrating, the way he's presenting it is magic is stupid. I see Uh, what you mean. And, um, you know, is that that really what he wants as a magician? Maybe. Uh, yeah. It's not for me to say one way or the other, but you know that's the that's what I take away from those exposures is yeah. they're telling audiences that magic is stupid and it's not stupid. It's a great art, um, and to gratuitously expose it, it diminishes it. That's my view. Good point, Mark. Thank you very much. All yeah, well said. <laughs> Sounds like that you were like in court. You know, <laughs> you were giving a summation. No, over there, I, so. you know, look, I, you know, I, I, you know, I'm very involved in magic history as you are. Yeah. I care about it uh, a lot. Um, you know, I think the history of this art is amazing, mm-hmm. and, you know, I respect that. And yeah. it, it just feels disrespectful and diminishes that art, you know, something we've all grown up with. So, um, again, everybody makes their own choices. Thank you, Mark. So for the Magic Word Podcast, that is Mark Holstein's opinion. <laughs> this is Scotty out. I want to thank these three gentlemen, whom I consider a spokesman for many in our magic community. I appreciate their time, their words, and their passion towards working to protect our magic secrets. I want to reiterate my personal belief that we should protect the magician's code of ethics as it applies to keeping secrets. But throughout this three-part series, I have been trying to be neutral, fair, and balanced when it comes to reporting both sides of the issue. A reporter can have personal opinions while still doing his job of getting positions aired. As mentioned in last week's episode, my reasons why I've given broadcast time to this issue and allowed those with differing opinions to state their cases is so the rest of the magic community could be aware that, one, there is a controversy that needed to be addressed, two, these are the principal players and what they thought, and three, ask the magic community to think about how they want to handle it. So, now it's up to you. You have heard the arguments for and against magic exposure. You are the ones who should take it from here and decide what we should do now, what the future of magic should be, and how we will leave it for the next generation. But to personalize this whole thing even more, what do you want to do with or about this situation now that you know it exists? I leave it in your hands to make it disappear. So, until tomorrow, when you will be hearing me from Blackpool, England, say, well, get booked. And remember to keep the secret. This is Scotty out.